Good morning, everyone. And welcome to our service of worship. Special welcome to any of you who may be visiting with us. If you are a visitor, first time, maybe first time in a long time, we have some information about the church we'd like to give to you. So if you would raise your hand and keep it up so that Pastor, Kevin, Pastor Rich can find you and uh, he'll give you that information. Just uh, raise your hand so he finds you. There's a little card we'd like for you to fill out, put in the offering plate later, then we can acknowledge your visit by letter. So appreciate your doing that. I uh, want to call attention to the church bulletin and ask, as we often do, to be sure to be reading in the bulletin. We have so many announcements that we would love to stress, but we can't stress them all, so we ask you to read them, and can you put your own stress on those announcements, if you will, please? Understanding that the purpose of Alden Union Church, our, our vision, is to be growing in Christ and to be reaching out to the world. And there are opportunities to do both of those that are in the bulletin every week, and this week is no exception. Opportunities to be growing in Christ and then opportunities to be reaching out to the world. Uh, just as an example, we've got inserts about a ladies' outing coming up to winter tour. We've got a preview of the fall Bible conference, and then there are announcements about a men's work day coming up senior fellowship lunch, and I believe that's the first week that that's in there, so be sure to, to read about that. Trunk or treat is coming up soon, and we're going to need a lot of help, so please pray about your involvement in that, but it starts with reading in the bulletin what it says about that. Also, side by side, the mentoring ministry of our ladies, uh, an announcement about that, a family Thanksgiving dinner, and I believe that's the first time this has been mentioned. So be sure you read about all of those things that are there, and this one announcement that is not in the bulletin, Doris Singley, an old-time member of the church, went home to be with the Lord on Thursday. There will be a service here on Monday at 11 a.m., preceded by the viewing at 10 o'clock. And in lieu of flowers, gifts would be appreciated to either the Hospice Promise Foundation, that's a kind of a, a general overall foundation that oversees hospice ministries, or to the church, uh, not designated, so if you just wanted to write that to the church, then that would be fine. We have a, uh, a special treat for us at this time. One of the things that we do, we, we love to do at Alden Union Church, and that is to reach out to the world. And we've got some very, very special people who do that for us. And Jaime and Monica Almeida are two of them. And if you'd come up here now, they're going to share with us, introduce themselves. Some of you don't know them, but... Uh, missionaries that are supported by our church doing a tremendous job in Peru. And let's welcome them here this morning. Hey, buddy. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we are working in Peru, uh, developing different audiovisual materials for the different languages that we have in Peru. Now that, nowadays, we have 40 different languages, 25 languages in the highlands of Peru. They speak Quechua, and the other 15 in the jungle. And um, we, are, we are started recording the New Testament in this area, in the highlands, and then in the jungle. But now the, we are also dubbing the Jesus film a video for all these different languages. And in 2009, uh, we went to Guatemala, uh, there is a production for children called Deditos, Finger Puppets. And we showed this video in one of the classrooms before, and all the kids love that, even though this video is in Spanish with the subtitles in English. So what we are doing now, it's providing different resources. Uh, 
since we arrived here, we have been enjoying the, uh, the delicious food, cookies, drinks, you know. You share with us the fruit of your land, different choices. And that's what we want to do. We want to provide to all the different languages in Latin America, and we can tell them, we have the Jesus film in your own language. We have this video for children in your own language. We have the New Testament and this equipment with solar. What do you want? So they can choose what is better for them. So, for example, um, I'm going to play something here. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my... Salmo 40. Alabanza por la liberación divina. Psalm 40. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. So, with this new equipment, after we record the New Testament, we put in this, this equipment solar, and also with a speaker, they are also solar. So... They can hear God's word, but the, the new thing about this technology is that you can charge your iPad or any kind of different cell phone with this new machine for them. And, and you said, why cell phones? Nowadays, most of them have smartphones. If you go to the highlands or the jungle, they have this. So we are also compressing these audios and putting in micro SD cards. Two months ago, the Yaminawa language called me and said, most of them now we have cell phones. Could you put in a micro SD card the whole New Testament? We said, yeah. So we prepared 40 micro SD cards and we provide them. So we, we are trying to provide all the different communities what they want. And thank you very much for all the time, your prayer, support, and friendship to us. Nowadays, we are starting in Peru but now we have been developing projects in Ecuador, Paraguay, uh, Colombia, and next year we will start in Brazil. We are starting in Peru, and thank you for all your friendship and the way you are praying for us. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. Uh, Alan Shannon, he is a missionary. He, he went to Peru uh, 60 years ago. And he met my father, Segundino Almeida, when he was 11 years old. He told Alan a story. When my father, Segundino, he's a, from the Highlands, he's a Quechua man. When he was born, he died because he was a bridge baby. Then my grandpas decided to bury the baby, knowing a cemetery, out of the mountain because they were afraid about the land, about the mountain. That happened around 7 o'clock in the morning. By 2 o'clock in the afternoon, my grand-aunt arrived, and she said, where is the baby? And my grandma said, we put the baby outside home. She ran outside to the baby and covered with her blanket, and she started praying for that baby. My grandma got scared. What are you doing? This is not going to be good for the harvest of the land. The mountain is going to be angry. And she said, I heard that we have, that there is a God, and his name is Jesus that that God is a love of life and love. She started praying for that baby, and for five o'clock, that baby started crying. And that's my father. And it's because my grand aunt listened God's word 
in their own language. In those days, they did not have the Bible in their own language as a written form. That happened in 1989. But that's why it's so important. We need to develop different resources. We are also building radio stations in the highlands and also in the jungle. After we finish the recording, now, right now, there are 10 languages playing in two radio stations in the jungle and the highlands. And we don't know how many people are listening the good news. And we don't know how many miracles are happening, like happened with my father. Thank you very much.
as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship, reminded the psalmist prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there is any wicked way in me. And I wonder if you've prepared your hearts and minds this morning for worshiping God. Let's take a few moments in silence, in prayer to God, and see if there is any wicked way he will remind us of that we need to confess and be ready for worship. Father, you have called us to this place, brought us here this morning to worship you. And in worshiping you and studying from your word and hearing from you, we know its intent is to uh, open up our hearts and minds, show us what we really are, show us how we're really acting and convince us to change and obey you. So this morning we want to do all that we do in a way that honors and glorifies and blesses you. Help us to keep our minds and hearts focused on you, on who you are, on what you've done for us, on obeying you. Because we want to worship this morning in a way that only glorifies you. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Take a few moments and greet the people around you, if you would.
Let's all stand, let's sing together.
may be seated, but please keep out your hymnals. And let's turn to the back together to reading 667. This is entitled Righteousness. And I'll read the light print. If we could all please respond by reading the bold print together. Again, this is 676 in the back of our hymnals entitled Righteousness. I'll begin. And he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies The promise to Abraham and his descendants that they should inherit the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For, being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Well, at this time, let's turn even earlier back in our hymnals to hymn 452, and we're going to sing together, Make Me a Blessing, and let's stay seated as we sing together, 452.
Would you join me as we pray together? Our great God, we come to you this morning because you are indeed God, and you are the only one who is worthy of praise. You're the only one who is worthy of thanksgiving, and and we offer that to you this morning. We declare our love for you in this place. We worship you because we love you. We worship you because you are worthy of praise. You are indeed our mighty fortress. You are the one who who is standing when we are tripping and falling and there to rescue us. You are the one who has always been, who is today, and who will always be. The one that we can count on. Our sovereign God, and we are grateful that we know you. We're even more grateful that as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we can refer to you not only as our God, but as our Father, and you refer to us as your children. May we long as your people to live in that relationship as a father does with his children. May we long for those times to to spend with our daddy, to talk with you, to listen to you, to sing praise to your name. We are so thankful that you listen to us. We're so thankful that you know what is going on in our lives already. And before we can even figure out the words to say to you to ask for help, you're already busy in the midst of those situations. And so this morning, as we lift up our requests to you, we're thankful that you already know them. You even know the ones that are on our hearts that we haven't been able to to formulate yet. And we do pray for many in our body this morning, our God. Many who are sick and and ill and and, um, have been injured in different ways. And uh, Father, some are in, in great pain right now. Some are in different processes of recovery. And we pray in the midst of them that you, the great physician, if it would be your will, would touch their bodies and heal them in ways that that even baffle the doctors. For we pray that in accordance with your will. We also pray that in the midst of those situations, that your Holy Spirit would do his work in their lives, drawing them to an even closer relationship with you during this downtime, causing them to to be still and hear what it is that you're trying to teach them, hearing how much you love them. Father, in the same way we pray for uh, many in our body who are, who are struggling in other ways besides their health, uh, be it uh, marriages that are struggling or, or parent-child relationships, uh, many are without work right now. And we pray that in the midst of all of it, that your Holy Spirit would be comforting hearts and teaching us along the way. Father, we're grateful that we can pray for our college students this morning. 
Thank you for where you have placed them on their campuses. Thank you for what you've called them to on those campuses, not just to study and make good grades, as important as that is, but that they might be salt and light and fragrance there. Help them to remember what their purpose for being there is, and as to share the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel with so many who are without hope. Father, we pray the same for our military personnel that you've stationed around the world. Father, you have strategically put them in places where they can be your voice, where they can share the gospel of love and of hope and of peace. And so we pray that you would help them and strengthen them and encourage them to do that. Father, we're grateful for our leaders. Thank you for raising them up amongst us, and we pray for your strength in their lives, that you would grant them wisdom, even right now, as they lead our body. Father, we're very grateful for our missionaries, those that you've scattered around the world to take the gospel. Father, we pray that as, as so many of them are away from home, are lonely, sometimes discouraged, that you would indeed give them a peace today, that you would encourage your hearts, that you might allow them to see the fruit of their labor. Father, all these things we've asked you to help us, but we don't neglect the reality that, that we are called to do something with it as well. And so we pray that we would be a, a people who are encouraging to each other, that we are meeting the needs of those in our body where we can meet them, that we can be praying and on our knees serving that way as well. That we can be the ones who are not only praying for missionaries, but that we might go to our neighbors, our co-workers, and share the gospel with them as well. Now, fathers, we have this opportunity to worship you by giving. We ask that you would take what is giving, that you would, that you would bless it, that you would multiply it, that it might further the gospel here and around the world. Help us to give with joyful hearts because we recognize that everything that we have has been lent to us from you for your use, that you might receive glory, that many might come to know Jesus. So as we give, we pray that you would help us to give well. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for your glory, our Father. Amen.
All right, if you'll please take out your hymnals, let's open up together to hymn number 441. 441. And let's stand, let's sing together, and take time to be holy. be seated. Let's join together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word that we can open right now. Thank you that it will meet us exactly where we need to be met. Thank you for the power that is there as your Holy Spirit takes those words and helps each one of us to apply them in our lives not an easy text this morning. It will require a lot of introspection, a lot of honesty with each other, with ourselves. So thank you for what you're going to accomplish. It's all in your hands. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at the first eight verses here this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Let me set you up with some expectations. One is there will be a lot of repetition in the scripture this morning and in the message because the same thing is repeated several times in several ways, but it will all get down to the bottom line. And the bottom line is something that we're all going to have to deal with individually. There's no way that I can be thinking this is about anybody else other than me. This is between God and me, and I believe that you'll find the same thing. Because if you start thinking about anybody else with regard to this, that's where judging comes in. 
Uh, we don't want to be judging other people, but we certainly want to be judging ourselves. And we're the only experts in the whole world who can make application to our lives right now. And you'll see as I read what I'm referring to. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then comes the model prayer. And Lord willing, we'll get to that some other time. And spend a lot of time in that model prayer that the Lord gives us. But in the first half of chapter 6 here in Matthew, Jesus is dealing with three very specific areas of practical righteousness. First of all, giving to the needy. You can see that in the first four verses. And then prayer in verses 5 through 15, some of which we won't see today. And then fasting, which we'll get to another time also, verses 16 through 18. But something to notice in the first 18 verses The name Father is found ten times there, referring to our Heavenly Father. Keep that in mind because that helps us to unlock what it is that God's trying to show us in this passage. It's reflecting an emphasis that everything we do should be for the Father's sake, not for our own. It's not at all about us. It's all about him. And so when you see the repetition of the word father, keep that in mind. It's all about him. It's not about me. It was never intended to be about me. There's something else that's going to be going on here too. The eight verses we're going to look at this morning have a common thread running through them. And that common thread is about rewards. That word keeps showing up, rewards. In fact, five times we're going to see that. Rewards. God promises us rewards when we do things the right way. But keep in mind also that the rewards are still only a fringe benefit of doing what's right for right's sake. That's what God calls us to ultimately. But the Bible does speak a lot about rewards. And here in this passage we see it as well. But before us we have a warning. And then we have... Two examples we're going to look at now, and then a third example another time, and that third example will be that of fasting. First of all, we've got a warning coming up. It says, beware. In the NIV, it says, be careful. And I think that's maybe soft-pedaling it a little bit. It's beware. The New Living Translation says, watch out. I like that even better, because this is a real warning that we're given. 
The Greek word means to hold or to take hold of something and then pay attention to it, especially in the sense of being on guard or being on full alert. So as it starts out, beware of something, and we'll see what that something is in just a moment, but beware of it, be on full alert. When I think of full alert, the first thing that came to my mind was our dog. Our dog has this full alert status out walking the dog and we come to a place where other dogs have been seen before by our dog by shadow and shadow gets on half alert when we come to those places you can see her she tenses up a little bit she's looking is there a dog here is there a dog over here but if there's actually a dog there then she goes on full alert and you know what that is those of you that are dog owners you know what full alert is she's on full alert She tenses up, and you know that she's about to try to get away and get to that dog. doesn't matter how big the dog is, but she has to teach that dog a lesson of some kind, whatever it is. We haven't found out what it is because we don't let her go and find out what would happen because I think she might be taught a lesson. But this whole idea here is God wants our attention, and he says, be on full alert for what is here. Here comes a warning, and here's the warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. You understand you've got to practice righteousness in front of other people. You've got to do that. That's not the warning. The warning is don't do it in order to be seen by them. And so we can see here as we're, as we're looking even at that expression to be seen by them. To be seen or to be noticed is related to the term from which we get the word theater. It means a spectacle to be gazed at. Living righteously is no theatrical performance. And you can see the folks on center stage right now in the picture on the screen. That is not how we are to live our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it is not about calling attention to ourselves. It's not about us in any way at all. Our lives are not lived on stage for the approval and the acclaim of people. Now you will see once again this whole idea that I can't apply this to you. I can only apply this to me because I'm the only one who knows my motives. I'm the only one who knows what I do or why I do what I do. And you're the only one who knows why you do it. Anybody else who's making assumptions, as I said before, is judging in that regard. So there are three examples here where true righteousness needs to live out itself. The principles, though, aren't limited to those three. And those three, once again, are giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. We've got to apply the teaching that we're about to see to every area, every righteous act that we ever do. It's got to be applied there as well. And this you'll hear me say several times during the course of the message. It is all about motive. It's all about why you do what you do. So the warning is to avoid showing off. Don't call unnecessary attention to yourself. And don't worry if you're not given the credit or the honor that you feel that you deserve. It becomes a pride issue. The warning is to be willing to take the back seat. It's to let the spotlight shine on someone else. And not to be involved in this self-promotion that is so easy to do. I'll do anything around the church as long as other people can see me doing it. As long as somebody takes notice, that's the wrong motive. You don't have to do good things so others will see you in them. 
or so they will know that you had a hand in it, or so that somehow your stock will rise in their eyes. Those are improper motives. And in several places, this is the first of them, if you don't heed the warning, it says, the reward you may have received from God will actually be forfeited. The English Standard Version study study note says this, public acts of obedience are valuable and honorable. And please understand that. We're not saying don't ever do anything that anybody else can see. That's not the point at all. So public acts of obedience are valuable and honorable, but if they are done merely for the sake of public recognition, there will be no reward from God. So if you're doing things motivated by being noticed by others, God says, I take no notice. So if you're doing it to be noticed by other people, God says, I take no notice, no reward. What is the reward that is missed? doesn't really tell us. We kind of trust God for whatever rewards he wants to. They could be heavenly. They could be earthly. They could be a lot of things. They could be spiritual. They could be a combination of a lot of things. But we trust him. Whatever he wants to do to reward us, that's up to him. But we're not really even in it for the rewards. But he promises us them anyway. And that's a great thing. Here's the first of three examples, two of which we're going to look at today. The first one is in verses 2 to 4. The first thing to notice in verse 2, it says, when you give to the needy. It doesn't say if you give to the needy. There is an expectation that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are following him are going to be very concerned about the needy in a lot of different ways. But when you give, and then it says something that seems a little odd. We don't understand this, but uh, picture this in your mind. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Maybe you can picture that. Somebody going around creating a ruckus with his trumpet, sounding sounding the trumpet so that everybody can gather and they can see what he's doing in helping the needy. Uh, That's ridiculous. We understand that. And some of us are saying, good, I'm off the hook. I would never do anything like that. Um, We're missing the point there, though. This is simply an illustration. Actually, sounding the trumpet, there's no real evidence that this took place that we can find in Jewish historical writings. Could be an example here of hyperbole or exaggeration or speaking in metaphorical language. But there is at least one missionary report of Hindu priests who've been seen literally doing this to get a crowd to see their acts of charity. But the point is, don't make a big deal of when you're helping the poor. Because if you do that, Your motive is clear. It's not to help the poor. It's so that you can be seen helping the poor and people will think more highly of you. There's an ulterior motive then. So whether it's a literary figure or meant to be taken literally, the point is very clear. Giving to the needy is not a spectator sport. It's a private, anonymous event. The reference is made here to the hypocrites. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the street. Well, who are the hypocrites? The hypocrites are those, again, who want to call attention to themselves. The hypocrites is an example of of how we describe this on the screen right now. The word originally referred to Greek actors. The Greek actors who were masked to fit in with whatever role they were called to play. 
we get the expression two-faced from this. Somebody's two-faced, the real face and then the mask that is there as well. And that would happen with the actors. Hypocrites. Matthew uses the word 13 times. Mark a couple of times. Luke three times. One example of how Mark uses it, and I think this is something that will make it very clear when we're talking in terms of hypocrites, what's going on. Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So there they are. They're honoring God with their lips, but their heart isn't there. It's two-faced. It's hypocritical. It's not the same person. Now, this continues throughout the Sermon on the Mount as we've been looking at it to be all about the heart. It's what's taking place on the inside. And again, that's why I've got to be my own judge in this. It's not just enough to be secretive about doing good deeds. My heart has to be right as well. Do you know it would be a pretty easy thing for somebody to give to the needy anonymously? But here's the test. Do you ever find yourself giving something to somebody anonymously and secretly wishing that that person could find out it was you? I can't be the one to tell them, but I'd really love it if they found out, if somehow accidentally it were made known to them. You see what I mean when I say that's of the heart? There's, there's a heart problem there. I'm not really giving the way that I should be. Because if I were, it wouldn't be about me at all. It would be about somebody has a need. God has given me a place where I can help that person. And that's all that has to take place. And I hope they don't ever find out it was me who was involved in that. <clears throat> Somebody's quoting Augustine here who said, The love of honor is the deadly bane of true piety. Other vices bring forth evil works, but this brings forth good works in an evil way. Hypocrisy is so dangerous because it is so deceptive. It uses things that are basically good for purposes that are basically evil. Hypocrisy, he goes on to say, is the homage that vice pays to virtue. And that was going on then. And it has never stopped. Hypocrisy. People being two-faced. People wanting it to come to them, but making it look like it's all about somebody else. So here they were at that time, broadcasting how good they were. But you know what? It will come back on them, because who was it that Jesus was hardest on? Jesus was always hardest on the hypocrites. He was always hardest on those who wanted everybody to look to them instead of to look past them to see himself. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Aesop's fable. tells us about a wolf who wanted to have a sheep for his dinner, decided to disguise himself as a sheep and follow the flock into the fold. While the wolf waited until the sheep went to sleep, The shepherd decided he would have mutton for his own meal. In the dark, he picked out what he thought was the largest, fattest sheep. But after he had killed the animal, he discovered it was a wolf. What that shepherd did inadvertently to a wolf in sheep's clothing, God does intentionally. The Lord judges hypocrisy. He hates it. 
Jesus hated it. God hates it. And we keep doing it. You know what? I can't even say that because I don't see that in you. I see that in me, but I don't see that in you. But I dare say my sight is not 20-20 when it comes to looking inside you. His is. One of the most damaging things that can be done in the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ is for self-centered, sinful, selfish people in churches to masquerade as true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us to be hypocrites and then to go outside, be seen by the world, identifying with the church, and be viewed by them even as hypocrites. People who don't walk their talk. One of the most damaging things to the cause of Christ that can be imagined. I'm certain that you've heard people say this before. Unbelievers. I don't need to go to that church because it's filled with hypocrites. Have you ever heard that? Not, not about this church, but about some other church. It's filled with hypocrites. You hear that all the time. Somebody would say, I don't need to become a Christian because my next-door neighbor is a Christian and he is no different than I am, except on Sunday. They see the hypocrisy. They see the two-faced nature, nature of who we can be. We've got to be very sure that people aren't saying about us, you know, that person says that he or she's a Christian, but you should see this person in real life. Goes on to say, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, obviously, that's a figure of speech. That's an exaggeration, not to be taken literally, but emphasizing the anonymity of giving. Because it goes on to say, so that your giving may be in secret. That's how our giving should be totally in secret. If that's the way you give, and I'm speaking here specifically in the example to the needy, you find out that somebody's in need and you want to give, you want to help, if that's the way you give in secret, it always catches notice of the Father. Not necessarily the person to whom you're helping in secret, but the Father always notices, and that's the point that's borne out over and over again here. The Father's vision is not impaired in the least by our secretiveness. And it says he will reward us. Now, which reward do you prefer? The acclaim of people or the reward of God? Trusting him for whatever that reward may be because it doesn't specify. Now, some tough thoughts right now for all of us to be thinking about. Some very, very tough ones. Think about the next time you feel unnoticed. The next time that you feel underappreciated. The next time you feel like maybe you're flying under the radar and nobody has any idea what it is that you're doing. You're trying to do a whole lot of good, but nobody's really noticing. Think about the next time you're ignored while you're doing all of that or you're taken for granted. If you find yourself complaining, even if it's only to yourself, that no one cares about all the hard work you're putting into a particular ministry, then, please hear this, then it's not a ministry. Because a ministry is about serving God and serving others. But if you're involved in something, working hard, behind the scenes, and you're complaining, maybe even out loud, but even if it's just to yourself, you're saying, nobody cares, nobody notices. Can't remember the last time somebody thanked me. Can't remember the last time somebody came up and told me I was doing a good job. 
If, if that's what you're doing right now, then that's not a ministry because it's about you then. It's about self. It's not about serving. So again, we've got to think some thoughts that are very hard to think, each one of us individual, each one of us in our own lives. And the question is, why? Why am I doing what I'm doing? With all honesty before God, why am I doing this? And if it's not good enough to please God and it's got to be appreciated by everybody else around me, then that's not ministry. That's about me, and that's what Jesus is speaking about even here right now. What you do to be noticed is seen by a human crowd. What you do for the Lord in secret may be secret from the human crowd, but it is seen in secret by the Lord. He has better than ultraviolet light to see what's veiled to us. Well, that's the first example when you give to the needy. The second example is in verses 5 to 8. It's very similar. It's very repetitious, and it has to do with praying. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites either. When you're giving to the needy, don't be like the hypocrites. When you're praying, don't be like the hypocrites. What they have in common is that they do it for show. They do it because they want people to see them and regard them as very righteous people. It says with regard to the hypocrites at the time Jesus was uttering these words, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. The more witnesses who see me praying, the better it is. The problem was not that they were standing. That was a posture that they often used at that time. The problem was, again, motive. What were they doing? They would be walking along the streets. They would come to street corners. And at that particular time, the Jews did something that the Muslims do a lot today. They had hours of prayer. They were called to pray. The point was, as I'm walking along and it's time to pray, I can stop and I can pray and not make a big deal out of it. But I can also plan my walk. I can plan my day so that I can be at this prominent corner over here. I want to be right here so that Kevin Brock can watch me praying to the Lord. And Kevin and all of the people who are right here on this corner will think how righteous that man is. Can you hear the prayers? What beautiful prayers he prays. That's what they were doing. That's what Jesus was calling them out for that particular time. So the problem had nothing to do with whether they were standing. It had nothing to do with whether they were on a street or even if they happened to be on that prominent street corner. It was their motive. Why were they doing it? Were they planning everything so that more people could see them? So it's not the where or the how. It's, again, the why. Is the motivation to please and honor and glorify God or is it to lift me up in the sight of human beings? For those who were indulging their own pride, Jesus said, truly they have received their reward. The NIV, twice when it's stated in these verses, will say in full. They've received the reward in full. They've gotten everything they're ever going to get. Because I'm over here praying and Kevin Brock noticed that's all the reward that I'm ever going to get. And quite frankly, no offense, that's not all that great. (laughs) Compared to whatever reward God would have for me. That would be great, humanly speaking. Understand. Some people thought that that was a disparaging you there for a minute. Can you believe that? But for those indulging their own pride, that's it. 
you're just going to get the acclaim of somebody, no matter how prominent that person may be. You'll notice, glance back at verse 1. You see the words, no reward there. Verse 2, their reward. Verse 5, their reward once again. But verses 4 and 6, the Father's reward. Whose do you want? Do you want the no reward or their reward that you get when others see you and will claim you? Or do you want the Father's reward? And again, remember, that's not the motive. That's not a pure motivation for obedience and for righteousness. It's not the reward. That's a fringe benefit. God's promised us that. Here's the pure motivation. Three verses you'll see on the screen coming up. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. That's enough reward all by itself. We make our aim to please Him. That's what it's all about. And as a fringe benefit, He decides He'll throw in some rewards. But we're doing it for the wrong rewards to begin with and not necessarily to please Him. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Now, please understand, because sometimes people will see a scripture like we're dealing with today, and they'll say, I can't do anything in front of anybody. And that means that a lot of good things can't get done because some of it has to be done publicly. Some of it has to be done before others. But the point that's made here so clearly is that when they see your good works, they're not glorifying you because of that. They're glorifying the Father in heaven. And that's our aim, to please Him and to bring glory to Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. How did Jesus say that we should pray in verses 7 and 8? He said, first of all, go into our room. New American Standard Version says, go into an inner room. King James says, go into your closet. The Holman says, go into a private room. The Greek word here probably means a storeroom. Maybe the back of a house. Different than the other rooms because it had a door. And it had a door that could actually not just be closed, but locked. And so there's a point being made here. It's not so much that we won't be distracted, but so that we won't be pretentious. So he says, go into that room, go into that closet, into that storeroom, and shut the door. But some people would say, I went into my private room. I left the door open so maybe a few people could see what I was doing, that I was praying, and maybe they they thought really well of me. No, he says, go in, shut the door, pray to the Father who is in secret, who is unseen. He'll reward you. He sees what's done in secret. But then the point is made, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words. We won't turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, but you know the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the sacrifice that was being made, and they were calling down um, from heaven the, the fire that would come down from heaven, and the prophets of Baal were there, and they spent the whole day repeating things to Baal over and over again, imploring him to come and to be with them and to help them and to do that over and over and over again. In fact, they even cut themselves and they were bleeding and they were doing all sorts of things trying to get his attention. And then Elijah came and made fun of them. And Elijah said, uh, you know what? He may be on vacation. He may be taking a break. He may be thinking. He may be doing a whole lot of other things. So maybe you need to call louder. Maybe you need to wake him up. 
Or maybe you just need to keep it up, keep it up, and catch him when he's got notice here or something. And then Elijah prayed this very simple prayer. And what happened? Just like that. At the end of all, the whole day after all the things they had done, he prayed a simple prayer. Fire came down from heaven and devoured the sacrifice. A great example of the wrong kinds of prayer. Now, as we're studying through this, I want to make one other point, actually a couple with regard to this doesn't mean that all long prayers are wrong. It's not the length of the prayer. Again, it's the motivation. It's, it's not to be involved in meaningless repetition, trying to impress God by the weight of our words. That's what's wrong. Heaping up empty phrases. It's translated by a number of our translations as babbling. There's some onomatopoeia that is there. Babbling on and on. It's just the use of words and many words. I'd like to share with you a quote. And you know that we don't like to bash other religions or other faiths. And we don't do that. We don't try to do that for um, a whole lot of reasons. It's not a, a loving thing to do. But we never compromise truth. So from time to time, I have to mention something that stands in the face of maybe some things that you've been taught as you've grown up or some things that are familiar to some of you. But I say this in love. Quoting, many Buddhists spin wheels containing written prayers, believing that each turn of the wheel sends that prayer to their God. So the more times you turn that wheel, the more times God is going to have a prayer coming to him and the greater likelihood that he'll answer that. Roman Catholics light prayer candles in the belief that their requests will continue to ascend repetitiously to God as long as the candle is lit. Once again, it's the sheer weight of the prayers that God will honor. So, so maybe a hundred times will be better than 99. Maybe God will hear an answer at 112. Who, who knows? There's no way of knowing. Rosaries are used to count off repeated prayers of Hail Marys and Our Father. The rosary itself actually came to Catholicism from Buddhism by way of Spanish Muslims, kind of a roundabout way, during the Middle Ages. Certain charismatic groups in our own time repeat the same words or phrases over and over until the speaking degenerates into unintelligible confusion. Jesus is saying to the people at his time, do not be like them, do not be like those who multiply words, who keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. Does that mean that public praying is wrong? That all prayers should be private? No, it's not talking about that at all. Jesus prayed publicly. Even the Lord's Prayer has personal pronouns that are, that are plural there. Our and us. Solomon, Old Testament kings, the early church, all through the Bible, public prayers are offered. It's again back to motive. The motive was given to us back in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to close with a story. Probably you haven't heard of Joe Rocheford, but following the attack on Pearl Harbor, he was the one who broke Japanese communication codes. How important was that in the war? He was stationed at an intelligence base in Oahu, and he predicted the Japanese would attack Midway on June 3, 1942, which is exactly what happened. Because of Rochefort's expertise, the United States surprised the Japanese Navy, and it was the first defeat for the Japanese Navy in 350 years. The Japanese Navy hadn't suffered defeat. 
But at this case, in this case, Japan lost four carriers, one cruiser, 2,500 men, 322 aircraft, and their best pilots. And due to the crippling defeat, Japan eventually lost the war. You can pinpoint it right there at that time. Surprisingly, Rochefort never received recognition for his efforts. Instead, some intelligence men in Washington, D.C. falsified reports and claimed the credit for themselves, even though they had predicted a wrong date a week later. Ironically, Washington sealed the records for 40 years, and Rochefort was never properly rewarded. He was actually removed from intelligence and assigned to a floating dry dock in San Francisco. Three military men wrote a book later on telling about a note that Rochefort kept on his desk, a very significant note that was there. We can accomplish anything, providing no one cares who gets the credit. The author writes, that was the attitude that won the Battle of Midway. That's the attitude that the Lord Jesus asks from us in the Sermon on the Mount. For us to be able to win many battles, many, many battles, as long as it doesn't matter who gets the credit. It's not about us getting credit, it's about him getting glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to think carefully through the issues that Jesus raised each one of us in our own individual hearts and lives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it for me? Maybe a lot, maybe a little. Or is it to please you and to bring you glory? Because it's not even really about the rewards. Thank you for adding the rewards to the reward of pleasing you. But help us to have as pure motives as we can, and may those motives not be about us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take out our hymnals and let's open up to hymn number 440. And we're going to sing the first verse of O for a Heart to Praise My God, 440. Let's all stand and sing together. Father, thank you for the reminder once again that it's all about the heart. And may our heart be what's right. May our heart be something that plays out in everything else that we do. Forgive us when we reverse it. Help us as we go out into this world now to be salt, light, and fragrance. That people will see in us the Lord Jesus and the glory will be all his. We thank you in his name. Amen.